Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Okay, I heard enough Snickers. How many of you remember that being the case for you as a little child? Now, you can probably imagine that that was a big problem for me with this big head, right? I remember that many times being told to go change your clothes and having a really hard time getting that shirt off over such a big head and change clothes. Paul, today, as we continue our look at Ephesians, is taking us into more of a practical place of how we actually walk this out. And he's talking today about a couple of images that actually relate to this. He's talking about putting off and putting on, essentially how we change clothes, in a sense, is the image he's using. He's also going to use an image about hardness of heart and how that uh, affects us, which really gets to one of the couple of the core underlying ideas of our message today. How do we go through life with all the hard knocks and the different experiences and remain soft-hearted? How do we live life without being weighed down by negative baggage? We've got a a gentleman named Dallas Willard, uh, recently deceased, a, a giant in the Christian community in America over the past 25 years. And He said this, he says, what we see around us today of the usual Christian life could easily make us think that spiritual transformation is simply impossible. Although there is much talk about changing lives in Christian circles, the reality is very rare and certainly less common than the talk. And we talk about change and transformation a lot. We use those words a lot, don't we? And yet, I think for many of us it is at the very least at times underwhelming, if not non-existent at times, how much change we actually see in our lives. And the question really becomes, how can we practically walk out the change that we know and believe God wants for our lives today? So today we're going to look at a text and I'm going to give you a little bit of an intro to Paul's practical exposition of that next week. You're going to be delighted. My wife is going to be speaking. She's always a lot of fun to hear and she's going to take you a lot further into the nuts and bolts of the practice of how we walk this out. Today we're going to look at our text and we're going to deal with it from the two standpoints. We're going to examine just a little bit more the struggle Paul is outlining that keeps us from real change and then we're going to look at some intentional decisions we need to make. Okay, so let's look at the text. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. says this, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the struggle. Paul is basically saying that the Ephesian Christians are struggling not with just what they talked about last week. Last week he called them all babies, right? 
If you missed last week, you may want to go back and listen to that. Isn't that a great promo? You just want to go listen to a message that calls yourself a baby, right? But it really is an important message in understanding what Paul is saying from last week to get the whole context of things he's saying. Today, he kind of takes and extends that idea a little bit into how we live each day and realize lasting change. And there's an image that uh, came to mind about this that I think really, really explains the idea of the struggle well for us. How many of you are Tolkien fans, Lord of the Rings fans? Seen the movies or read the books, right? So there's quite a few of you, but some have not. So uh, Tolkien, after writing the book, he talks about the fact that there was one place in the book that he continually returned to. And every time he returned to, it would bring him to tears. It's this pivot point in one of the characters' names, his life, it's Gollum. And so if you're not familiar with the story, Frodo is this hobbit and he's the hero of the story, this main character. He's the bearer of the ring, this ring with all sorts of evil power that he has to take to the mountain and destroy it to free the world of evil. That's the basic plot of it. And Gollum was once a hobbit like like Frodo. He, this is a picture of him. Doesn't he look attractive? This is exactly what we all want to look like, right? And his name when he was a hobbit was Smeagol. And years earlier, he had found the same ring and he'd kept it. His lust for power had make, made him keep it and he paid dearly for it in his appearance and all of his life. So Gollum is along on the journey to destroy the ring, along with Frodo and Sam, and, and he's along with very mixed motives. In fact, most of the time his motive is to steal the ring so he can repossess its power again. And when we look at Gollum, we see very vividly portrayed in the movie the, the, the effects of hardness and how it transforms us, it changes our identity, it changes how we think about life, and it keeps us blinded to how we can see even the reality of life around us. Now, the movie has different scenes that actually portray this well, but unfortunately they took some license and the book is better at portraying it. So let me just tell you the story. I was hoping to show it to you, but we'll just tell it to you today. The book shows this moment in Gollum's life where he, uh, Frodo and Sam are sleeping along the journey and, and Gollum is looking at him and his heart begins to crack open and he begins to feel a sense of softness towards him. He begins, begins to feel a sense of love towards Frodo and a belief in the good journey that he's doing and there's this hope that begins to emerge. But as he's kind of hovering over Frodo, Sam wakes up and sees him, and of course, because of past experience, Sam thinks that this hovering and this staring is something other than what it is, and he rebukes him almost harshly in a self-protective manner over Frodo, and, and this crack of softness in, in Gollum's heart closes up, and we don't see Smeagol for the rest of the book. The hardness stays intact the rest of the time. There's this hope of change. And yet this hope of change that births in Gollum's heart is so easily extinguished by the rightly protective comments of Sam. See, Gollum portrays for us this image of hardness of an heart and how it can change the entire person, the identity of an entire person, and how it blinds us in our fears and our anxieties and wounds from even being able to see life as it really is. Now, all of us know people where we could say hardness in their life has changed their personality, their identity, right? 
where the beauty that we see the potential of in them has not come out. It's easy for us to see it in other people. What we have a hard time seeing is how hardness creeps into our own lives. It's kind of like the old phrase, don't ever ask a fish to describe water. Hardness creeps into our life in such a a slow, almost encroaching way so often. And then it becomes something we're so comfortable with. It becomes like my old, comfortable, worn-out clothes that I absolutely love to wear, but Wendy won't let me out of the house in, so sorry, you'll never see me in them because they're just so ugly and bad. But I love them. They're comfortable. They're a part of me, and there's memories. And this hardness just becomes part of us. And it was this danger that Tolkien returned to over and over again. This danger of hardness creeping into our heart and this this opportunity for change, this crack in that hardness happening, but then Gollum doesn't seize the moment and never again had the opportunity to seize the moment, to become soft, to become healed. And that's what brought Tolkien to tears over and over again. That fear that if we don't seize those moments when God puts a crack in our heart of softness to change, if we don't take up, take those opportunities that sometimes that, that moment may not come back again for us. Paul deals with this in the text by talking about hardness and the darkening of our understanding and our thoughts and how that leads us like Smeagol to not be able to see or feel clearly, to not be able to respond to the opportunities for change and healing in our life. Instead, we stay darkened. Even in a self-protective mode, even when it is safe, we stay self-protected, trapped in our futile thinking. Paul's writing actually paints a picture that we could easily liken to what we understand today as, uh, of the effects of substance abuse. Look at verse 19. He says, Having lost all sensitivity, he says, they have given themselves over to sensuality. It's kind of like this feeling of the more you use the drug, the less sensitive you are to it, and the more you need of it the next time to feel anything. And we so often don't relate to that because we make the mistake of taking this word sensuality and leaving it only in the sexual realm, which certainly it has connotations there, but when we limit it that way, we miss how this applies to all of us. Sensuality beyond that is really at the base a drive or a need to feel something to feel alive, to break out of that self-protective hardness that keeps us from feeling, to to be free of the negative things that weigh us down that we don't want to face, to return to something called homeostasis, this this place that we innately, innately know we should be, this place where we feel joy, where we feel peace, where we feel clean, where we feel right about life. And when we don't recognize our hardness and deal with... What makes us hard, Paul says, it leads us to futile thinking and to being ignorant. Isn't Paul nice? He's just pulling no punches. He calls us babies and now we're futile and ignorant. But it's so true, isn't it? And we all know it's true. No matter how smart or capable we are, we know we fall prey to this stuff. I mean, let's just look at the definitions. Ignorance. Ignorance, the definition. The inability to judge situations rightly. A lack of understanding so we act and think like something is true, but it's not. Or ignorance can just be simply choosing to ignore things that we would be wise to pay attention to, right? 
And futility. Futility, the term, extends the idea of ignorance to its conclusion. It, it's doing something that in the end is fruitless, that, that leads us to a place that we never thought we were going. In fact, at its best, it leaves us having wasted our time. And at its worst, it puts us in this place of being lost and damaged in the opposite place to where we intended to go, leaving us lacking what we really wanted. Let's give an illustration to this. Uh, I joined a meeting uh, a couple weeks ago with a number of community leaders and our uh, superintendent and the high school principals at New Albany Schools and to talk about how we could be help be a part of a solution to some problems we're seeing that really illustrate and demonstrate futility and ignorance and hardness and how it affects our teens. Now, let me first say, I walked out of that meeting outrageously impressed with the leadership of our schools. They are realistic. They are thoughtful. They are practical about how to these issues and how to lead change. They are excellent leaders, and I think we should just continue to pray for them and pray for all of our, all of our leaders of our schools in the area. We represent more than just New Albany schools, but this one's just an example from them. Now, here's the issue. Everyone's dream. What's everyone's dream in life? Everyone's dream is to find love right? Be it with friends or family or for most of us, we hope to find this lifetime partner, this spouse that we can be in love with. And that definition of love for us almost universally includes at least two elements. It includes the idea that there'll be someone who will respect us as a valuable person. And second, it'll be someone who is faithful to us, always believing the best, always protecting us at all times, right? Yet, in our society, dating relationships are so often the exact opposite of those attributes that we dream of. We celebrate sexual freedom, and, and it doesn't lead us to where we want to be. It, it, it leads us to futility. The high school dances have been one of the issues that we were discussing, and, and uh, we saw in a smartphone video recently taken at one of the dances, and the high school principal described it even further. 300 out of the 500 students present dancing in, in sexually, let's just call it sexually inappropriate ways. They were, they were dancing grinding. They were, the women were bending over and taking their derriers and rubbing them against the men's midsections as a way of dancing. And I'm sure many of the students there are promoting it, calling it fun, enjoying it, because it's certainly, I'm sure, thrilling, exciting. Others are feeling the pressure of everyone else around them, so they're doing it and feeling uncomfortable with it, if not just a bit used. And some people are doing that because they're there because they have, they're doing it because they have to please the one they're dating, and they're feeling very used by it. And all of them are caught in futility, in darkness, in ignorance, in the hardness of their heart, just trying to break out of that, to do something that makes them feel like they think they should feel, excited, happy, joyful, attractive, wanted, right? And even if the thrill of the pleasure of the moment is something they're enjoying, ultimately the dream of every one of them is to be loved, to be treated as a person of value, but yet they're allowing themselves to be treated as an object for someone else's selfish pleasure, futility. Doing something that ends up in a different place than we dream of or want. I mean, eventually the person is most likely going to break up with them, probably go through multiple breakups, and this temporary feeling of pleasure and want, being wanted is going to be dashed. 
And it's just going to be dark, ugly shadows rather than the real thing that they long for. What we want in life and what they want is for someone to be faithful to them, but we try to find that person to be faithful to us by being unfaithful in our relationships. It is futility. It's ignorance. It's ignorance because we do not live guided by an understanding of how our current actions will lead us eventually to a point and we wonder why we end up at that point of heartache so often rather than the faithfulness that we desire. Well, that may feel only relevant to some of you who have kids or, or something in, in your life. We all struggle with this in our life. You want a really good relationship with a friend or a spouse. But there are topics. There's areas of feedback. There's areas of discussion that you don't want to have. And when they come up, you end up in an argument or you end up isolating yourself in hardness of heart trying to avoid those topics, right? And even when you're, in the more, when you're in the more lucid moments, you know you have to face those things. You know you have to deal with those things if you want to get where you want to be, but you still ignore them. You still isolate. You still shut down in conversation, right? Or sometimes it's even more simple than that. We know we need to stay engaged in the relationships around us in order to have them move to the place of healthiness and love that we want. But we get tired and we feel like, or we feel like we don't know what to do in the relationships. So we just, we escape instead. So we just work more. So we don't have to face it or, or we do too many entertainment activities. And not, not the entertainment that's out there for pleasure, but we do the entertainment for the purposes of emotional and spiritual avoidance and soothing of ourselves and being able to forget and ignore. And trust me, if you're younger than I am, trust me, entertainment and work, when you use it for emotional and spiritual reasons of avoidance, is a drug that you will need more and more and more of. You will need more money, more thrill, more entertainment, more extreme things the older you get to feel the same thing. Paul is inviting us to be realistic and to take the time to recognize and understand the hardness that we all, every one of us, struggles with. What are the things you do to bring homeostasis to your life? What do you do to find that place of commitment, contentment, to find that place of feeling alive, of feeling joyful, of feeling right with the world? Where do you see yourself in your relationships being driven more by your own concerns than the concerns of the others? What areas of your life and your relationships do you not discuss? Instead, you seek to avoid them. You don't even want them to come up or you shut down in the conversation. Paul starts by helping us own the fact that the only way real change can happen is if we all recognize how we're prone to hardness how we're prone to futile and ignorant behavior, how we are sometimes, we sometimes pack the issues of our heart away under this veneer of hardness because it's easier, we think, for us to ignore feelings of dis-ease than to face them and grow. And Paul adds the idea to that of being given over, and he says, basically, we're trapped, we're enslaved to this process. of, and We're trapped from experiencing real change. And oftentimes the change that we try to make is just exchanging one behavior for another behavior and it never really deals with the heart 
and the hardness. And so we don't see lasting change. And that's the struggle. That's the struggle. Paul doesn't leave us there. He takes us on to some intentional decisions that we'll start to deal with today and Wendy will deal with more next week. And and, and these intentional decisions he's painting for us are the path to resolve the hardness for us to help us to find real life and real change instead of just using the drug of sensuality, the drug of needing to feel something, the drug of greed that can only drive us to want more and more to get the same fix. Paul captures the essence of the decision in two phrases, beginning in verse 22. He says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So he summarized the two basic decisions in his words, to put off and to put on, the words we alluded to earlier. They're actually in the original language in, the, in what's called the aorist tense, which is a tense that's a little bit different for us. What it means is that these actions were decisive actions done at a point of time in the past. It's just, it's done right there, and then we move on from it. And Paul's word here, the way he words this, is not at all unlike other philosophers all throughout history. They've talked about putting off vices and putting on virtues, like putting off dirty clothes and putting on clean clothes, new clothes. But Paul doesn't use it that way. Paul's actually using it in a different way. He says, we're putting off an old self and putting on a new self. And that distinction is really important for us to understand. It leads to actually the first intentional decision we need to make. We need to make an intentional decision to put off our control of defining who we are and instead put on giving up leadership of our lives to God. To decide that God is the one who defines who we are. God is the one who defines what love and justice and peace and everything else is for us not us, to decide whom our heart belongs to, us, another, or does it belong to God? And see, when we really see what Paul taught us at first here, when we really see our proneness to being lost in our, in our lack of sensitivity and our, our, our slavery to just needing to feel, to sensuality, and when we, when we really understand our hardness that we've been given over, that we're not free, I mean, most of us think we're free people, but the reality is none of us are. We're all trapped. We're all enslaved. Only when we see that we are driven by all sorts of things in life can we realize that we need to give up control to someone who is a master, who is kind, who is forgiving, who is more powerful than we are, Jesus. So we need to be free to make that decisive decision to break from the past to put on off our own control and building an identity and make Jesus the absolute, complete leader of our life. Now, that's a big decision. How can I ever know that I've given up absolute, complete control of my life and the leadership of my life to Jesus? I mean, that, that's, just think of the enormity of that. I mean, there's the old illustration. If you, if you took a piece of paper and this one piece of paper widthwise was the distance between the earth and the moon, then, then you've got a whole ream of paper that's the difference, distance between the earth and the sun, and you've got a mile and a half wide, a high stack of paper that's the distance between the earth and the hypothesized edge of our current universe. I mean, 
And if you think about the God who created all of that, not just created all of it, but holds it all together, all the way from the biggest thing, all the way down to the the atoms within the cells of your body, he controls and holds it all together. That's not the kind of God that we make this wishy-washy decision to follow, that we invite him in when it's convenient or to be our assistant in life, is it? Yet even in the enormity of that recognition, it's so easy for us to ignore taking him as the supreme top priority in every aspect of our life. If you're here and you've ever wandered, if you've been wandering along in your faith, not really sure of your faith, I would guess that maybe some of your wandering is like I hear from a lot of people. They say, well, I'm just going to wander on. I'm going to go along on my faith and I'm going to, I'm going to be balanced. I'm going to be moderate. And this is not the kind of God you make a balanced, moderate commitment to. So here's an assignment, if that's you. Go home today. It's a beautiful day out to do this. Take a walk or sit on a swing in your backyard or lay in the hammock in your backyard and look at the sky. Look at the clouds floating by. And ask God and yourself the question, who am I living for? Who really calls the shots in my life? Who defines my life? Okay, so maybe you're not, maybe you're not convinced about God, but maybe you're not convinced yet about Jesus and that He's God. Well, then at least make the decisive decision that you're going to be all in to give it every focused priority to pursue knowing God. Because if God is powerful enough to create this universe we just talked about and hold it together all the way down to the atom, then He's not a God who's distant and unknowable. That's just, that's just a ridiculous argument to even make. If He's that big of a God to hold it all together, then He is knowable. So make the commitment to know Him. And if you're not convinced about Jesus, well, then just start. I would just propose, start praying every day. God, are you Jesus? And then since you're here, I'd invite you to seek with us for a year, a minimum of a year, intensely focused on learning to seek him the way the Bible says. And if God hasn't convinced you within a year after you seek him intensely with priority that he's real, then the worst that's happened is you've checked off one box and you can go on to seeking somewhere else for something else. I invite you to do that. If you're interested in doing that and want to understand how to seek God in that way, I would love to meet with you and talk with you. So just give me a call or contact me after the service. At some point, you know you've made the initial big decisive decision whether it's been a series of steps leading up to it and now all of a sudden you're convinced of that reality or whether it was one big moment. But Paul is writing to the Ephesians who have already made that big decision and saying you still need this habit of decisive decision-making in your life, this habit of being aware what needs to be put off and what needs to be put on a new self, how you put off your old identity and how you choose to put on the new identity that Jesus has of you, how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we believe God sees us, and what all of that means for when somebody else views us, how we respond to that. See, what Paul is illustrating for us here is this decision is a lot like marriage. 
I mean, so marriage, there's this decisive decision. At one point, you are not married, and at the next point, you are. When the minister or the judge or whatever says, you are now man and wife, you've gone from being not married to married. And yet, every one of us knows that there's still an awful lot of putting off and putting on of new identity that goes into having a healthy, long-term, successful, beautiful marriage. But here's where we often make the critical mistake that thwarts the change process. We make this putting off and putting on primarily about moral and behavioral choices. And it's because we all struggle, and the world around us, even those who don't follow Christ, all struggle with the idea that Christianity equals morality, and that's simply not true. Christianity and the Bible is far more than a rule book. And whenever you hear that discussion, people are going to ask, and when people believe that, they're going to be asking you questions like, well, if I become a Christian, doesn't it mean I have to stop doing X, Y, and Z? And they'll list off some of the more known big sins. And the reality is, when they become Christians, the answer is probably yes. They'll have to put off many of those things. But that's not where Paul starts. He doesn't start with behavior and morality. He starts with changing our heart because the reality is that morality can harden and deaden our hearts just as much as sin can. Think of it. You've probably seen this. I've seen it. I've seen people caught in sexual addiction who did all sorts of abusive things to others and themselves in that process, stuffing down the feelings of how they disdain themselves, trying to be involved in sex to get some sort of feeling of being wanted or good. And I've seen them become church people who just traded bad behaviors for more acceptable behaviors, but never changed the heart. And it becomes dead. Morality can deaden our hearts, just like Jesus confronting the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs and blind guides leading the blind, like Paul's images that he gives us here of the struggle we have with hardness and ignorance and futility. Why? Because the Pharisees were good at doing morally good behaviors religious behaviors, but their hearts were not changed and the hardness was still there. And morality can just as easily alienate relationships as it can build healthy, vibrant relationships. Morality without a changed heart separates people into various camps from good to bad to profane to awful to really saintly, and it divides relationship rather than doing what Jesus calls us to do, which is to build relationship, build bridges of kindness in relationship. Now, Paul doesn't ignore the moral specifics. That's still part of it. We'll actually go through a passage in a couple weeks where Paul leads us through some moral discussion and behavioral discussions, and we'll examine that. But, But it doesn't start there. Change at a deep level, starts with ourself, our self-esteem, our identity, our core of who we are. We put off the old self. We put on the new self. So what is the new self? Well, Wendy's going to explore that more even with some good options for how you do that. But let's just look at what Paul's taught us already in Ephesians. Just a quick summary. He's already told us what this new self is in Ephesians. He said 
You have every spiritual blessing in Jesus. You have no lack, no, no provision unattended for. He's, he said, you are chosen by God to be his sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. There's this beautiful sense of absolute belonging he's given to us. And, and he says that he lavishes us with wisdom and he lavishes us with understanding. We don't have to fear that God doesn't want to communicate with us or doesn't want to lead us or teach us. He wants to do it far more lavishly than we could ever imagine. He describes the Holy Spirit as a deposit given to us to empower us to guarantee that which is to come, telling us that I will get you where you need to be. I will give you the power to make the change you need to make. And he says he's prepared us in advance for good works. Your life has outrageously beautiful meaning. God has promised to you And He's birthed us into a body of people, into meaningful relationships where we belong, where there's the ability to grow in the experience of love immeasurably greater than we can ever imagine. And He says more things. And the question is, are these things controlling realities in your life? Do you wake up every day feeling so deeply loved, so wonderfully, abundantly provided for by God, so confident in the purpose He's given you and the ability and the power He's given you to overcome any obstacle that you walk through life with a lightness, with a joy, with a freedom, with refreshing vibrancy? And the answer is certainly none of us walk in that every day. And that's what Paul is saying here. We need to have this habit of putting off and putting on regularly, daily, making decisive decisions that we make even when we don't feel like it. Let me close with this as the worship team comes. What habits do you have that help you engage with the Holy Spirit to be self-aware of the hardness of your own heart, of the ways you think about yourself that are not the identity and the ways that God thinks of you? Where is your heart hard? Where are you wanting... And ask God these questions. Where is my heart hard? Ask God, where are you wanting me to put off an old hardened identity about myself, about relationships, or about you? And some of you are going, oh, that's just great. Father's Day, you're leaving me with a real downer and a negative. This is going to be just such an awful week. You're asking me to look at the hardness. No, well, let's, let's put that off right now. What I'm leaving you with this week is a focus that will allow the Holy Spirit to come to you and create a crack of hope, a crack of light that you could change out of the hardness of your life, out of the areas where you have no answer. I'm asking you to ask questions that will allow that crack of hope to happen, a moment of opportunity to create the possibility for change. It's a golem moment where change, real change, is possible. And the question is, will you take that moment? Will you be intentional and decisive in asking God the questions this week? Some of you feel like, oh, you're too hardened. You feel a little bit like Tolkien probably when it came to tears because you feel like you're too hardened for Jesus to even come to you and rescue an area of your life. And yet, just remember... The God who's inviting you to take this step is the God who says, I want you to forgive 70 times 7. If he wants us to forgive that much and be that patient, how much more 
will he come to you over and over and over again to create an opportunity for change. I'm praying that every one of us, myself included, unlike Gollum, will open our hearts to these questions and will seize the moment to be free for the softness of our heart. Will you do that? Lord, I just ask that you'd come right now. Even as we sit here and think, even as we all feel those ways where we know we shut people out around us because of a hardness of heart because we don't want to face it or where we, where we refuse to face an issue because we don't feel like we can change. We feel hopeless about an area. So we'd rather focus on areas where we don't feel hopeless. But Lord, you want us to be whole. You want us to be soft, kind, loving, You don't want us to walk in darkness. You don't want us to have to give up on dreams of love and wholeness and relationship that you've called us to. You don't want us to have to give up that image of of marriage or family as we know that you desire it to be. So Lord, would your Holy Spirit just come to us now? Would you crack our hearts open? And would you allow us to respond to you, to put that off and to allow you to redefine us. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to worship, that your spirit would come to us and you would minister to us in those areas. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.